Hey, Kev, let's let's follow this trail over here. This looks like there might be something waiting down there. All right. Hey, wait a minute. Do you hear that? Yeah, I thought it was just me. What the heck is that? I don't know what that is. Whoa, do you smell that, too? That's unbelievable. Hey, look. What the? Hey, look, those, those branches are moving over there. What the heck is that? Holy cow, is that what I think it is? Look at that thing. It, oh my god. It's a freaking Sasquatch. Welcome to the Bigfoot Terror in the Woods Sightings and Encounters podcast. I am your host, W.J. Sheehan. Hello, everybody, and once again, welcome to our show. For those of you who don't know me, my name is W.J. Sheehan, author of a series of books conveniently titled Bigfoot Terror in the Woods Sightings and Encounters, Nine volumes available in paperback, ebook, and Kindle at Amazon.com. And volume, volumes one through eight are available at Audible, iTunes, and Amazon as well in audio format. So may I encourage you to go out and purchase a copy or two for yourself. And now, may I introduce you to... My brother and podcast co-host, KJ Sheehan. Kev, how are you? I'm doing great, but as you can see, I got a cranky Martha in the background. I hear the Martha Hound back there tonight. Yeah, she's normally sleeping, but uh, apparently she's a little upset this evening. (laughs) So I I apologize, folks, but uh, it's hard to calm down a 15-year-old Labrador Retriever. It is, it is. I assure you that no Labradors were hurt during this podcast. <laughs> None were hurt yet. <laughs> no, she's, she's just getting a little uh, uh, Parkinson's or something going on in the Labrador mm-hmm. brain. Well, you know, Kev, we got to make the best of our time these days, as we said in the last podcast. No, and she was calm for 45 minutes, Bill, before... Uh, we got on the Skype call, and she's in her house. She's fed. She's medicated. It's dark out there. She's all good. She can't hear me because she's deaf, um, but <laughs> but she's upset about something, so uh, I'm sorry, folks. We're going to have to live with it. We're going to have to live with it. And by the way, Kev, uh, folks, uh, Kevin and I are both Yankee fans, so you're going to have to put up with us, but at the time of making this podcast... Our uh, illustrious Aaron Judge popped two more dingers out of the park today in Milwaukee. I thought that was pretty interesting, It is fantastic. He's at 59 Mm -hmm. home runs this season. Uh, I think he's the only right-handed batter to hit that many. And he's in uh, pursuit of Roger Maris, who did 61, of course, a long time ago. Yeah, yeah. So and course, I'm excited about it. I like Aaron Judge. I mean, I liked him before he hit 59 home runs, but um, just a beast on the baseball diamond. Yeah, no, it's a, it's good to see, and he's a decent fellow too, you know? 
Well, and the amazing part is, Bill, he's hitting all these home runs, but he's getting a tremendous number of hits as well. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's just crazy. Yeah, it is crazy. He's just an all-around uh, fantastic ball player, you know. Yeah, I, as you know, I was in the car today driving home from Philadelphia after visiting some family up there, and um, we were listening to the the uh, Milwaukee Brewers broadcast on satellite radio on the way down, and they even named him the MVP of the game, mm. you know, even with uh, Milwaukee home brewing or home cooking. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, onward we go, you know, right? We'll see what happens. Oh, no doubt about it. I mean, let's see. Now they're now the Yanks are going home. I think they have a day off tomorrow, and then they have a home stand. So maybe uh, good old A.A. Ron will uh, break uh, Roger Maris's record in Yankee Stadium. That would be cool. <laughs> yeah, we'll see what happens, man. Yeah, super cool. <laughs> so what is uh, on the agenda today, my brother, in our cryptids in the news and other oddities segment? Yeah, we're going to go to the sky, Bill, and... Okay. Uh, we're going to talk about a UFO incident that happened back in June of 1996. Oh, that was a while ago. Yeah, a while ago, but not ancient times by any right. means. Right. And this happened. This is known as the uh, Varginha UFO incident, and I hope my pronunciation is okay. But uh-huh. Varginha is a city in Brazil, in South America, that is basically inland between the two coastal cities of Rio de Janeiro and San Paulo. Yeah, and by the way, I believe in Spanish, Farina. Oh, could be. Farina. I listened to the pronunciation, <laughs> but of course it's Portuguese, not Spanish in yeah, Brazil. They, they kind of blend. Yeah. <laughs> Don't tell them that, though. <laughs> but I haven't been uh, to Farinha or Varhinha um, uh, in the past. Um, and uh, But it, I do understand that it's a strong city of commerce, and it's a place where they produce a lot of coffee as well. And I mm-hmm. love... I love me some coffee. Yeah, you and me both. Exactly. <laughs> coffee achiever. <laughs> so. so now, have you, you, have you heard of this account before, Bill? I have to say this is one account I have some familiarity with. Oh, good, good. Because, you know, folks, if you're new listeners, um, Bill and I rarely share what we're going to talk about prior to the uh prior to the podcast so and this is in keeping with that but i've been looking at this for a while and uh in this account there were um uh three women ranging from 14 years old to 22 years old and uh there were basically two sisters uh lillian and valkyra uh valkyra fatima silva and their friend katia Andrade Xavier, and uh, they allegedly saw this creature, an alien creature, as they described it, on January 20th, 1996, and they said it was about five feet tall, it was a biped with a large head and a very thin body and V-shaped feet, brown skin, Large red eyes. Sorry about the red eyes, Bill, but yeah. let's say it had large red eyes. Uh-huh. And it also seemed to be wobbly or unsteady. 
And the girls, therefore, assumed that it was injured or sick. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Now, uh, where were they when they had this encounter? They were just outside of town, and um, they were uh, roaming along the road during, apparently, some intense rain and strong winds. Hmm. Nighttime? Daytime. 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 Okay. Yeah, a little bit of a storm cooking up when they saw it. Yeah, and no sighting of a craft or anything. No, but there is uh, a couple of other folks, uh, Aurelina and Eurico de Fretas, who were owners of a farm in town, reportedly saw a large UFO hovering over their cattle. Huh. And um, they they noticed it first because their animals were very agitated yeah. and they didn't know what was going on. And then they looked up and saw this flying object over the herd of cattle. And they said that it was it hovered over their field for about 40 minutes. Hmm. Yeah, four zero minutes. Yeah, not a fleeting sighting at all. No, in 40, not in 40 at all. minutes is a 40 long minutes. That's a and long they talked time. about it as like a cigar-shaped craft. Wow. Yeah. You know, so all of these things, it just reminds me briefly about uh, a number of incidences, uh, incidents at uh, Skinwalker. I, same thing I was thinking of, Bill, of course. As soon as I was researching this account and they talked about they saw the cattle were agitated and then they happen to see this craft over the field of cattle. Right. Which is exactly what happened at Skinwalker, right? Yeah, yeah. That one was isolated, too. You remember that? That died. Absolutely. And when he reviewed the frame-by-frame footage, that disc appeared above the tree in the background. Uh, and the, ca- the cow actually lifted its head up at the time the disc appeared in the frame. Exactly. That was, uh, you know, that whole, what do you make of that? That whole thing with these, these craft and whatever these things are inside of them and the interest in cattle. You know, I, I, I don't know. Okay. So I'll give a contrarian view. I don't know that they're interested in cattle. I know you have all these cattle mutilation, mutilations and stuff like that, but I just think that, you know, people are out in rural places and they see these things and there happens to be cattle there and the animal get agitated, which we know, you know, animals get agitated whenever there's anything wrong, right? Whether it's a low pressure system, mm-hmm. you know, tornado, whatever it is, they they tend to sense that something's wrong, even an earthquake, right? Yeah. Certain types of animals know an earthquake is coming before we feel it as humans. Yeah, I mean, I remember hearing about Japan. They say the animals just split before uh, uh, an earthquake is coming. Oh, or, and the tsunami, yeah. Yeah. The earthquake and just, tsunami there. They are way, way, way more sensitive than a human being is. Right, right. So, Of course, uh, these days we're all looking at our telephones, so. Yeah. Please don't remind me. God, I can't stand it. But what's pretty interesting, like there's a lot of interesting things about this account. But there was, in fact, an article in the Wall Street Journal about this this account on June 28th, 1996. And uh, the title of it, you'll like, Bill, is called 
tale of stinky extraterrestrial stirs up UFO crowd in Brazil. Hmm. Yeah. That was in the Times? No, uh, the Wall Street Journal. Wow. Yeah. Okay. And they said, uh, so some of the accounts here, I'll read you some of the quotes because they're pretty good. Um, And these are some of the ladies that saw the creature that I talked about earlier. They said it wasn't a man or an animal. It was something different. Um, It had oily brown skin and rubbery limbs. Three rounded protrusions sprouted from its oversized head. And then standing out in a different way was the creature's odor. One ghastly whiff weakened the knees. Wow. Yeah. You know, I that's the first time I've heard of an odor. I know. So maybe there really was some type of decay or something was going on uh, with this thing. Yeah, maybe it was injured or something like that. Did anybody find a crashed... A vehicle of any kind? Well, so that's the interesting thing about this encounter is that there's a a large circle of controversy that, like, the military in this area of Brazil intervened and, like, attacked the aliens, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Now, it's not clear whether this is true or not, but the military had, you know, a a, a, a reputation for... You know, being a little heavy-handed, apparently, according to the articles I read okay. in this part of Brazil. So um, the the locals attributed uh, everything that was going on to uh, and what happened to the aliens to the military intervening and you know basically killing or wiping out the aliens. <laughs> so you had this one uh, couple who saw this cigar-shaped crash over there. Homestead, the craft, craft, yeah, over their homestead, with right, the cattle in the air, and yep. then you had the three uh, girls or women, three women that saw the alien on a, on a, on a street or a pathway somewhere. Yep, and then but, there's there's others that reported seeing all different kinds of things. Of course, it wasn't just these five people, or would never make it to the Wall Street Journal, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then they went out and they interviewed the military and stuff like that. But they talked about the fact that it was kind of handed all the way up the chain of command and then handed all the way down the chain of command till they got to some kind of generic spokesperson. And they explained that they did have a lot of activity on the base that night, but it was basically they were training some new sergeants and stuff like that, which, you know, the way I read it, it didn't sound that sincere. I have no data. Yeah. To prove that, but it just but, sounded like the typical, you know, government mumbo jumbo. Yeah, exactly. But no yeah. witnesses coming forward saying they heard like repeated gunfire of any kind. No, nothing like that. Nothing yeah. like that. Well, I don't know. It's certainly. And how did it end for the the ladies on the street? Um, they just, you know, got a little bit of fame. Related to this, like they went home, they one of them told their mother and they came back and to the site and the creature wasn't there. But mm-hmm. they did smell this uh, stink from the creature, which was interesting. And even their mother noted the smell. Yeah. 
There's uh, like a strong foul smell, but also with a lot of uh, ammonia smell. Oh. Uh, yeah. Wow. So they they must have just left the scene kind of in fear or whatever after they got a good look at it. They were looking oh, yeah. at each other. Oh, yeah. What are you going to like, do, right? You're yeah. like, what, what are you going to do? Yeah, it's time to go. <laughs> exactly. Time to go. <laughs> yeah. That's what time I would do. Time to go. Yeah, I wouldn't be hanging around there either, you know. Uh, no. You don't know what's going to go on or what the capabilities of such a thing are or what else is around. Absolutely. You know. Absolutely. And who at this point in time or even in 1996 uh, had no familiarity whatsoever with the, quote, UFO phenomena? All of these girls had probably their own thoughts about what they were looking at and what possibly could be around, you know. One hundred percent. They you know, they didn't know what it was and then they were but they didn't see the craft. Yeah. Right? They just saw this weird looking thing that was unearthly and uh completely strange and plain as day right in front of them. You know, about five feet tall. Yeah. With this head and protrusions coming out of its head, non human, non animal. Yeah. Right? Their description. Right. So very, very strange. Yeah, and also walking around in a rain and windstorm. Yes. You know, no clothes on, whatever it is, it was naked. Yeah, yeah. And uh, the whole thing would just be, like, ultra strange. But good that there was three girls together. Yeah, not just one, right? Yeah, because all three of them can confirm each exactly. other's sighting and what they speak of, you know? Right, and then one of their mothers came out to, to the site and confirmed the smell, right, the stench. Yeah. Boy, I don't know. I, I, I just don't know what to make of that. But, you know, you can't be in denial of, of what people are saying and what they're seeing. Now, what it is... Uh, is an entirely other, uh, another thing in itself. But the fact that people are seeing something, it's it's no different than Bigfoot. Uh, when you have multiple witnesses, like in our last podcast, two fly fishermen uh, up in B.C., you know, if you don't want to believe one guy, are you saying you don't believe two guys? Exactly. You know, uh, what about three or four or five guys? You just don't believe anybody, you know. So uh, I'm not in that camp, by the way, which is why I make a point of it. But uh, three ladies walking down the road encountering this thing and reporting it is good enough for me. No, no. And then, you know, what attracts me is that you have bona fide journalists like from the Wall Street Journal writing about it. And by the way, not on April Fool's Day, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Good point. Of course, point. we see a lot of those articles where I look at the date and I'm like, oh, April 1st. Never mind. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we forget about April 1st. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Well, that's yeah. interesting, Kev. Yeah, it's pretty cool. It's another uh, mystery from the skies, which, you know, I love. And it goes on top of, uh, you know, all of our chats about the Webb telescope lately and discovering all these galaxies all around us. And it really starts to make you feel like, you know, whatever you believe, it's hard to believe uh, that we're the only life. <coughs> we're the only life out here. You know, right, right. we're not the center of everything, believe it or not. Yeah. No, but, uh, not by any means. Not but, by uh, any means. 
uh, where all these things are coming from, whether they're different dimensions or different planets, uh, we'll never know uh, in this life anyway. I mean, know? unless we run into one of them and they start chatting with us. you know. Yeah. <laughs> Which could happen. You never yeah, know. Could, I don't know how happen. that ends, though. It could be... Uh, <laughs> could be wonderful it could be terrible and cataclysmic you know <laughs> hey kev you know he might make a good salesman maybe he has can take over the mind of his client and make him buy a lot of stuff hey there you go maybe <laughs> <laughs> i could see him talking like homer simpson and then homer simpson being like donuts <laughs> Well, I tell you, that was an excellent, uh, an excellent story there. And I have something. Uh, I'm going to get into it here, obviously, like I always do. But I challenge you to kind of tell me what you think after you hear what happened to a fellow named Guthrie Ennis, a resident of eastern Pennsylvania. This is what Guthrie had to say. In 1979, I had gone into the eastern hill country of Pennsylvania deer hunting. As was my normal routine in the fall of every year. At that time, I had a CJ, so a Jeep CJ with a full roll bar installed that I used for my hunts. In this particular location, I had parked about a hundred yards or so from the road and hiked in to where I had set up a stand in the woods. We were already on the receiving end of some snowfall, but the deer population was robust. And so on my very first morning on the first day of the season, I had tagged a buck and left the woods. Four days later, on a Wednesday, I returned to the same area and parked in the same location as I had on Saturday. There was a light snowfall coming down as I entered the woods about 30 minutes before sunrise. I hiked in and climbed up into the stand in the hope of getting another buck. I sat there for about an hour, having seen nothing as of yet when suddenly I heard something behind me that sounded like a car hitting a tree, but more quietly than a high-speed crash. Visualize yourself clipping a tree while backing into your driveway at night and, say, smashing your taillight in the process. It was more like a crunch than a loud impact. This sound had come from behind me, which was the direction I had hiked in from, as well as the place where I had parked the CJ. The area I was hunting in was private land owned by a fella I knew from work whose family owned it. And there was no one else but me in there that day. The road that I had come in on was old, rutted, blacktop for the first quarter mile or so. And then it became nothing more than a dirt fire trail of sorts for the entire stretch leading up to where I had parked. So hearing this noise was very strange in regards to believing it was a vehicle crunching into a tree, 
with the only vehicle being mine, and it was parked in an opening on the shoulder of this trail. Two hours had passed. I hadn't even seen a deer, which was very odd for the area. So I climbed down out of the stand. I secured my gear and started heading back to the truck. As soon as I was in range of my CJ and now had it in sight, I could see the truck leaning on a tree. Two of its wheels were in the air and part of its roof was up against a large tree that was next to it. Before I moved any further, I began to scope out what I could, looking for the culprits who had tipped my truck. Seeing nobody, I walked out to the CJ. If the tree hadn't been there, it would have been on its side, but the tree was holding it up at about the midway point. The side of the hardtop was crushed in, and the window had popped out of its frame and smashed, which must have been what I had heard, even at a couple of hundred yards distance. Putting my gear down, I leveraged my body against the truck's roof and was able to flip it back down to the upright position. I walked around the truck to see what, if anything else, had been damaged. It was then, as I looked down on the ground on the driver's side, that I saw large footprints in the snow along that side of the truck, as well as prints both coming to and leading away from the truck across the trail. They were those of huge bare feet, similar to a human's, only wider and longer with the toes being very fat and wide. The snow at this time was still falling, and what I was looking at had been made in about a two-inch base of snow, with some snow having fallen into them. I immediately said to myself, Bigfoot. Having seen the In Search of show on the creature, as well as having heard the stories coming out of the Pacific Northwest. I frankly couldn't believe my eyes, and the fact that this thing was able, by itself apparently, to shove my jeep over against this tree was remarkable. I was fortunate that it had landed in the exact position it had, otherwise I couldn't have toppled it back to the righted position alone. There had been many a tale in this area of Pennsylvania about similar creatures being seen and even shot in the 1800s and early 1900s. But as far as I was concerned, they were old wives' tales, like those told about werewolves and the like. To date, I haven't seen so much as any further indication of creatures such as this being around. And although at this stage of my life I don't hunt anymore, being frankly too old to do so, I know many others who do, none of whom say they have seen such a creature in the state either. It was very odd, to say the least, and I thought that you may be interested.
Well, Guthrie, I am interested, and so are you, my listeners. <laughs> and Kev, what do you make of this? Yeah, so that's wild. So Guthrie didn't see anything other than the fact that obviously something turned his Jeep on its side. Right, and he saw footprints. Oh, and the footprints. Okay, so that's key. Yeah, so he saw footprints, large, basically shoeless, human type, as we've heard a thousand times, uh, footprints in a two-inch bed of snow. Yeah, yeah, that's, uh, that's pretty compelling. Yeah, you know, when you get a print in two inches of snow, it's pretty uh, yeah, pretty spot on. And if you listen to the way this guy drove into this place, you know, he's on land owned by somebody else. Not to say somebody else couldn't have been there, right? People go on other guys' lands all the time. Right. But it didn't, it didn't sound that way to me. And, uh, you know, the fact that he also added in the end there how... He had spoke of it to other people and asked them, and nobody apparently will fess up to seeing anything. And he said he hadn't seen anything more himself. No, I mean, it makes sense, yeah. But, yeah, the footprints in the snow especially, right? Because yeah. snow is, uh, it'll tell you if there's any other people or creatures around, right? It's hard to hard to make the snowfall in your uh, tracks that you want to hide, so to speak. Yeah, no, you're not going to... Uh, you know, and you can imagine it probably looked like it does in our yard when it first small. Oh it's yeah, pristine. You know, it's just pristine in nature—a fresh blanket of snow. Uh, anything, even a raccoon or a rabbit that hops around in there, you see the indication it was there. Oh yeah, deer, whatever. Yeah, anything. So I thought that was pretty interesting too. And what this creature wanted with his jeep or maybe it was just like ah you know aggravated that this thing was in its turf uh and again we don't know what experiences this creature or these creatures have had with human beings yeah i mean we only guess bill like you know right. we've said before that maybe the creature doesn't like him taking the game from his from the creature's land right yeah you're, you're, yeah. Ta- you're stealing my food who the heck knows? So maybe he just doesn't like the way he smells, you know. <laughs> yeah. Maybe he doesn't like combustion engines, you know. I mean, yeah. we don't know anything. Maybe he doesn't like the way you look. You got hey. me. Hey. Hey. Yeah. <laughs> maybe the guy's a Red Sox fan. <laughs> ah, no just offense. Saying. No offense to our Bostonian Red Sox fans. Yeah. As far as my brother says. <laughs> oh, man. So that's interesting. You know, uh, the Jeep, Western Pennsylvania. Yeah, that's Eastern, Eastern Pennsylvania. It's a bit of a hotbed. Yeah, Eastern Hill Country of Pennsylvania, yeah. he said. Yeah. There's, uh, there's more than a few accounts of a variety of different things coming out of that region. No, definitely a hotbed. And uh, by the way, folks, you know, if you live there or anywhere and you've had some type of sighting or encounter that you'd like to share with us, just go to our website, BigfootTerrorInTheWoods.com, click on the contact button and uh, shoot us out a little ditty, if you will, on what you have to say, and I'll get back to you. You know, I'd like yeah. to have a conversation with you. 
If you've seen something, say something. That's right. <laughs> Whatever it may be. <laughs> you know, Kev, I'm just listening to Martha, boy. That I poor, know. The poor hound is really, you know, wound up. She just wound up, but she's okay. Yeah. I assure you, folks, she's okay. She's okay. Just she's really got a little bit of Labrador Alzheimer's is what our uh, veterinarian says. Uh-huh. At 15 years old, and, um, you know, uh, I mean, 15 years old as a Labrador Retriever. I mean, do the dog math, right? 15 times 7. It's great that she made it this far, but at night she, she gets anxiety. Uh, usually she settles down by now, but I yeah. don't know. I'll, of course, I'll check on her again after we're finished. Yeah, maybe I'll give her a stack of waffles with some maple yeah, syrup. Yeah, there you go. I'll make up some pancakes. <laughs> That'll do it. Anything for food. Oh, my God. <laughs> so, Kev, what do we have in our listener mail this evening? Yeah, we got some good ones, Bill. I mean, first off, uh, we have a letter coming in from uh, Diane, who won our last contest. Right? Uh, that's right. And, yeah, and Diane said... Uh, First off, I want to say that I was sorry to hear of the passing of your wife, Bill. You're in my thoughts and prayers. And then she writes, second, yeah-wee. <laughs> and she says, that's for you, Kevin. Uh, and she says, the memorizing of tongue twisters in grade school has paid off. While how to use a protractor, not so much. <laughs> In reference to the uh, how much wood could a woodchuck chuck. Exactly. (laughs) And then uh, she also wrote in, she said, Kevin, you read my joke on the air a couple of weeks ago, which I didn't put that together, about arugula. Uh, Um, Yes. And uh, she said, my grown kids cannot believe I wrote you. They think I fell off the turnip truck several miles back. (laughs) (laughs) And this winning this book will not be getting me back on the turnip truck in their minds. Which, believe me, Diane, Bill and I know where you come from there. Yeah, and of course the uh, arugula was in reference to the joke where she said, what was Arugaroo's favorite vegetable or something? Yeah, it wasn't even Arugaroo, but it was something. And we said it would be better if it was Arugaroo. Ah, uh, okay. So there yeah, you go. Yeah, there you <laughs> it go. Was we something. made it better, Bill. Yeah. But she does, Diane does finish up by saying, I look forward to your podcast every weekend. Uh, your love and respect for one another is delightful to listen to. Delightful. So that's nice. Delightful. <laughs> She uh, says, but try and keep that Labrador Retriever quiet from now Yeah, on. no, she didn't say that. <laughs> no, I know. But she will. She'll write in next week and say, what are yeah. you doing to that dog? Oh, my goodness. I told you but, at the beginning, no Labradors were harmed in the recording of this podcast. Yeah, and by the way, Diane, uh, you'll probably have your book by the time you're listening to this. Uh, but I did send out her book. Oh, that's good. It's yeah. always good to give out give out the prize bill for the contest that yeah, you hold. Well, I know you don't always do that. Sometimes so. you change your mind. You know, it's a nice <laughs> it's a nice book. <laughs> and by the way, Diane, I'm still waiting for my book. So tell me how it is, Kev. You haven't won a contest. I know. I know. I've heard that. 
Oh, wow. So what else? Who else wrote it to us? All right. So Alan from the Pacific Northwest writes in about paranormal. And he said, I have had two out-of-body experiences, seen three UFOs, and lived in a haunted house in Portland, Oregon. Wow. And he gives the coordinates of where he lived. I'm not going to give that out, though. But he says, if you go on maps, you'll see an apartment building amongst 99% of old houses there in Portland. Uh And he says, that's where I lived in the 70s, in the haunted house. Wow. He said, I've never seen a Bigfoot, but I skateboarded from Ape Caves toward uh, Ape Caves turnoff to the bottom of the hill a couple of times in 95. Huh. I lived in Meadow Glade, Washington, when Mount St. Helens went off. Yeah. And she said, and he says, and I've never submitted my stories to a podcast. Thanks again. And my daughter said, you sound exactly like Click and Clack, the car guys. <laughs> <laughs> Which remember is those, awesome. Remember those two guys? Uh, could uh, you tell me again, ma'am, the noise your car was making? Yeah. <laughs> and they would make them say, clickety-clack, clack, 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 clickety-clack, clack, clack. <laughs> and they'd be like, you sure it wasn't like, whir, whir? <laughs> or, yeah, yeah, it was making some kind of strange noise. Yeah. Oh my God! But anyway, so it's pretty interesting. Like um, Alan, man, living in Meadow Glade, Washington, when Mount St. Helens went off, you got to talk to us about that because I've talked about the fact that I lived in Spokane, Washington, for four years back in the '90s. But it was after Mount St. Helens went off. But I still saw all of the evidence of the ashes or the, you know, multiple feet of ash on I-90, Interstate 90, heading uh, west towards Seattle. And then I heard the stories. People would say, even in Spokane, which was pretty far away, east of Mount St. Helens, out on the Idaho border, and they said, you know, you couldn't see the sun for a a week or two weeks, and Mm -hmm. cars wouldn't start because all the air filtration was clogged, etc. Yeah. Just crazy stuff. Yeah, yeah, it is crazy. Yeah. And uh, uh, we had that encounter that I went over about the guy that was hunting uh, in sight of the mountain when it blew up that day. Exactly. And uh, And we've all seen the footage of, you know, the explosion, how it, like, blew down all of those tall pine trees, you know, a mile or two around the mountain, like, just toppled them over. Yeah. In a, in a, you know, in a direction radiating from the center of the blast. Yeah, that was uh, very Crazy much stuff. Yeah, very much akin to like a nuclear bomb going off or something, you know. Absolutely. Bang, you know, and that's it. Get out of the way. Yeah. So, Al, we'd love to hear more about that. You know, that's definitely another oddity for my segment of cryptids in the news and other other oddities. We haven't he- heard heard from anyone writing in or calling in to tell us about their experience during the eruption of Mount St. Helens, which I think would be pretty cool. It would be very cool. And uh, I really, I encourage people uh, to reach out in a greater way, you know, be be willing to share and spend a little time, you know. 
100%. Uh, because it's fantastic. I mean, this guy was in a haunted house. I'd like to hear about that. Yeah. I'd like to know about the UFO encounters he had, no matter how fleeting they may be. And I'd like to hear what it was like uh, being around that area when uh, St. Helens blew. Absolutely. You know, I mean, there's a cornucopia of info there waiting to be, you know, uh, uh, listened to, and I want to hear it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then our last letter, Bill, this week comes in from the far reaches of Bangalore, India. Wow. Yeah, from Serenavas. Wow. And uh, Serenavas writes in, Hi, WJ and KJ. I love the podcast. Um, I have been to California, and it is wonderful, but I need to get up to the Pacific Northwest next time I am back. Okay. And he says, have you been to India, and do you know anything about our cryptids beyond the Yeti up north? Wow. Best regards, Serenivas. Well, Kev, why don't you answer that question? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have been to India about a dozen times, Serenivas, and I have been to Bangalore. Uh, mostly I go up to uh, New Delhi, and right before the pandemic hit, I went up to see the Taj Mahal as well, yeah. which is just unbelievable, you know, one of the wonders of the world for sure. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, Bangalore, I was in Bangalore probably 10 years ago last and, uh, of course, one of the tech cities in India that's just expanding tremendously. I told one of my friends who was from India where I was staying in northern Bangalore. And he was saying that like five years prior, there were wild tigers roaming around that part of Bangalore. So it gives you an idea of how fast it uh, expands. And uh, Serenivas, I, you know, of course, we know about the Yeti up north. And we've talked about the Yeti, but I have not heard about some of the other cryptids in India. So you have piqued my interest. So definitely write in and tell us a little bit more about some of these uh, cryptids. And I will put it on my research list as well to check out what else is going on uh, in India. Yeah, no, it's, a, it's really interesting. And the Taj Mahal, man, what a place that is. Oh, my God, Bill. It was... You know, by the way, it's like, you know, I flew in there when I went to the Taj on the weekend. I flew into uh, New Delhi, uh, up north of Bangalore, and it's about a four-hour ride in a car up to the Taj Mahal. I mean, the Taj Mahal is kind of in the middle of nowhere. Mm -hmm. Like, you can't fly in there. So four hours each way, day trip. Mm -hmm. uh, but spectacular, completely worth it. I will do it again, mm -hmm. uh, no doubt. But also, when I was up there, it was in the summertime. And, Bill, it was about 130 degrees Fahrenheit. How can you survive? Uh, you know, you just... I knew it was going to be hot, so I had on my layers and reflective clothes and my big wide-brimmed hat and plenty of bottles of water and stuff like that. But it was like... You know, it was really hot. You know, if I'm not mistaken, I have a couple of fellas from India that I work with. And uh, this one guy, Thomas, I think it was him one day, uh, he said that people come to that site uh, bringing donations, money, jewelry, and whatnot, every day. Yeah, and it could be. I mean, it's, it's a... 
you know, a lot of people don't know. Like, they think it's a big palace, but it's actually a mausoleum. Mm -hmm. You know, this uh, king, they didn't call him a king, I don't think. I forget now. But um, he built it for his wife, and his wife is buried there, and then he's buried there as well. But it's yeah. a mausoleum. It's not, it looks like a palace from the outside, but really when you walk into it, all there is is the, uh, you know, the, the crypts, so to speak. Right, but it, apparently it's a venerated site over there. Oh, yeah. It's I mean, not, it's one of the seven or eight wonders of the world, for yeah. sure. Yeah, no doubt about it, you know. Yeah, and But I'm saying it's hard to get to, too. Like, you don't just fly in and take the shuttle over. Yeah. Yeah, you got to go there with intent. You know, you Absolutely. Want, you want to be yeah. there, you know? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, that's Super interesting, cool. man. That's it. Yeah, so thanks for writing in, Serenivas. And, uh, Bill, I'll probably end there with the mail so I can take care of this Labrador Retriever and see what's... If she's got a thorn in her paw, of course, I'm just kidding. She doesn't have a thorn in her paw. Yeah, yeah. But uh, great podcast, Bill. Good good chatting. And, folks, keep those five-star reviews coming. And uh, we really appreciate your listener mail as well. Send it in to BigfootTerryInTheWoods.com. Contact us. Yeah, and uh, fantastic uh, little exegesis on that uh uh, alien encounter, you know, all of that stuff is interesting to me. And all of this, this whole cornucopia of uh, sightings, UFOs, Bigfoot, whatever it may be, hauntings, uh, it's all grist for the mill, as I say. And by the way, if you should find yourself rolling around in your Jeep in the woods of Pennsylvania or any other state or place on the planet, if you get out of that Jeep, or even when you're in the Jeep, you better remember one thing, my friend. Always carry more gun than you think you're gonna need. Sleep tight. <laughs> <laughs>